So Matthew chapter 12, as we open our Bibles to that, we'll start in verse 1, read through verse 21. It says, At that time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to Him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He went on from there and entered their synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him? He said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all, and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, Behold my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. And in his name the Gentiles will hope. Though I watched the President's speech this last week and the things that he offered and the promises that he repeated and his plans to uh, fulfill those promises, and I watched, it was, it was interesting to watch the crowd and what different parts of the crowd would respond. Some things the whole crowd would respond to, some things only part of the crowd would respond to, and um, with, with applause and, and approval. And, of course, that's to be expected. There's kind of two sides. There's a schism in our country that's kind of divided between the two sides, between the Democrats and the Republicans. And sometimes it seems like whether the program or the dis- topic of discussion is really that far divided or not, the people remain more so. Um, I guess what I'm saying is sometimes it seems like the Democrats aren't going to approve of something of the Republicans just because it's a Republican idea. And I would say the same going the other way as well. Sometimes the Republicans seem like they don't want to approve of something just because it's a Democrat's idea. Uh, one of them that came up in the news this week was the infrastructure and how he didn't get much of a positive response from the Democrats on the in- infrastructure. And the commentator pointed out that that's interesting because President Obama pushed for in- infrastructure changes, reforms uh, through his whole time, and they thought it was a great idea under Obama. But apparently now that Trump offers the same kind of a plan, uh, it's not such a great idea to them anymore. And the reason that I bring that up this morning is not to get into politics. I really have no desire to do that with you this morning. But, you know, what we see in our politics in our current society is pretty similar to what was happening in Jesus' time with the passage that we just read right now. You see, the Pharisees are really not, at this point, probably overly concerned with the Sabbath. They probably were not overly concerned about the disciples eating a few pieces of grain. What they really were concerned about was Jesus. It seems that just about anything that Jesus did, they were attacking. 
anything that they could find against him. At this point, the official opposition to Jesus was really just starting at this point. Anything that they could turn into a controversy to attack him is what they were using. Other Gospels even point out that at this time they start to league together with common enemies. The Pharisees and the Sadducees always had problems between one another. They were kind of the Democrats and Republicans of our day. But they started to link together to mutually attack Jesus. He's being opposed no matter what he does. And it's amazing because when you look at what he's doing, causing blind people to see, deaf people to be able to hear, lame people to be able to walk, raised a girl from the dead, calmed a storm, fed large groups of people. What has he been doing that's really that nefarious? (laughs) Nothing. Positive things. Acts of mercy. But they're against him because he's not one of them. And that's what we see as we come into that into this passage in Matthew chapter 12. We see Christ opposed. Now, in both of these events that we look at in this passage, they use the same situation, that of the Sabbath, to oppose Jesus Christ. I want to recognize that there's three mistakes that the Pharisees make in regards to the Sabbath as they bring their opposition against Jesus Christ. The first mistake that they make is that they completely ignored Christ. By saying they ignored him, I don't mean that they left him alone, that they turned their backs to him. What I mean is there's a lot happening right in front of their eyes and they completely overlook it. And that's what Jesus' point to them in the passage is a greater than the temple is here. A couple verses after that, he says the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So he's saying, look, you're, you're missing it. I am the fulfillment of the Sabbath. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I am greater than the temple. What did the temple signify? At first it was a tent as a tabernacle. Then it was a building that signified the presence of God and was a place to gather together to offer sacrifices and to worship God. But Jesus says, behold, a greater than the temple is here. All those sacrifices that were offered within the temple, they were just a picture of what Jesus would do when he came. In fact, Hebrews chapter 8 talks about the furnishings of the temple. And it says all of that was just a shadow, just a shadow of the real deal, which is Jesus. All of this miracles were happening right in front of the Pharisees and they ignored it all. They missed it because they were so determined to oppose Christ. In, uh, in John chapter 5, verses 39 and 40, Jesus told the Pharisees this. He says, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you might have life. But he says, You have the Bible, and in this Bible you think that you have eternal life. An argument can be made. It was through the Bible that we can have eternal life. But how does the Bible bring us eternal life? The Bible brings us eternal life by pointing us to Jesus. And we go to Jesus to receive the life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And that's exactly what Jesus told them. Look, this whole Bible, this whole Old Testament that you have at this time, all the sacrifices that you teach about, drawing a picture of me. The Sabbath that you're so concerned about was a picture of me. It was a shadow of me. In fact, Colossians teaches that, us that. In chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, it says, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in question of food or drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance is Christ. The substance belongs to Christ. You see, the Sabbath that the Jewish people, the leaders were so offended that the disciples might have violated the Sabbath, Jesus says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was meant to lead you to Me. 
but you've completely ignored it. Now, I want you to stop and think with me for a few minutes. When we got into chapter 8 in Matthew, over the next few chapters, we saw Jesus perform a lot of miracles. Amazing miracles. Even raising somebody, a little girl from the dead. We're going to go on from here and we're going to see a couple more miracles. We see one today with him healing the guy's withered hand. Jesus is going to cast out demons. And then look, look down toward the farther into the chapter. Look at verse 38. It says that the Pharisees and the scribes come to Jesus. It says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Well, what have you seen so far? You've seen the dead raised. You've seen the blind given sight. Lame people be able to walk. Mutes be able to talk and to hear. Calm the storm. What exactly is it that you're waiting for? But they, they have completely ignored it. And at that point, Jesus says, you know what? I'm not going to give you a sign. Here's the only sign I'm going to give you. The prophet Jonah. Even Jonah was speaking to me as he was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale. The Son of Man is going to be three days and three nights in the belly of the earth. And then I'm going to raise again from the dead. That's the only sign that I'm going to give you at this point. But they, the point that I'm making is that they have completely ignored everything that he's done right in front of them. They've completely ignored their Bibles that they were so proud of that pointed us to Christ, that showed us what the Messiah was going to look like when He got here, and they completely ignored the fact that Jesus was the fulfillment of all those things. You know, in the last passage, last week we just looked at the end of chapter 11, where Jesus says, Come, all, come unto Me, all you who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's not the word Sabbath right there for rest, but that's what Sabbath is all about. It was resting. Jesus says, I'm the fulfillment. Come to me and I will give you rest. The religious leaders and their understanding of the Sabbath had made it anything, anything but rest. In fact, as we go on the next point, not only did they ignore Christ, but they also inflated the law. Now, what I mean by that is they took the law regarding the Sabbath and they made it bigger. If you look in the Bible, there is some teaching on the Sabbath, and it was very important, no doubt about it. Um, it, was, it was given to Israel as a sign of the covenant between God and Israel, His chosen people. It was something that was to make them distinct. It was not unimportant. It was very important. In fact, God said that the sentence for not carrying out the Sabbath was death. And they did give a little bit of instruction upon what was meant by resting, but not a lot. In fact, I think it was even one of the rabbis that said that their understanding of the, of, of the Sabbath day was like a mountain hanging by a string. Because we have so much ideas about the Sabbath, but very little teaching in Scripture concerning it. The Jewish has a, a bunch of documents called the Talmud, which is basically their Jewish tradition. And in this Jewish tradition, down through the years, rabbis give their interpretation, give their understanding of what should be followed based on the teaching of the Old Testament. Well, if you look up Sabbath, and in one part of the Talmud alone, there's 24 chapters devoted to their understanding of the Sabbath. God basically told them it's going to be a day of rest for you, just like God created the world in six days and on the seventh day He rested. You're going to have one day of rest where you're not going to go to work. And it's going to be a holy day unto me. Like I said, there's a little bit more taught about that in the Bible, but not a whole lot. But you know what? The Jewish rabbis through the years before Christ had added so much tradition onto this idea of the Sabbath. They said you couldn't drag a chair across the ground if it left a rut in the ground. They decided that the distance you can travel on the Sabbath day is about 3,000 feet. But if on the day before the Sabbath you took some food 
and went 3,000 feet from your house and put some food there, then on the Sabbath day you could actually walk to the food and then the food was considered an extension of your house so you could actually walk 3,000 more feet. You could also, um, if you stretched out a rope from your house to another house, maybe across the street, that house then was, would also be considered an extension of your house so you could walk from your house to that house and another 3,000 feet beyond that house and you still have not violated the Sabbath. It gets better. Throwing things. If you throw something on private property, you're okay. If you throw something from private property to public property, you violated the Sabbath. So in other words, if you're outside in the yard playing with a ball and you throw it out into the street that has gone from private property to public property, you violated the Sabbath. If you're in the street and you throw it back into the yard, you also have violated the Sabbath because you've thrown it from public land to private land. Here's the one that has everybody in an uproar. If you are standing in private land and you throw it into private land, passing through public land, there's an argument over whether you're guilty or not. So if you throw it to your neighbor across the street into their yard, some people think you're guilty, some people think you're not guilty. You see the craziness that it was getting into? Now, where does it touch base with our passage that we're looking at here? Jesus is walking through the field with his disciples. The Pharisees see them eat some grain. Now, legally, as far as eating some grain, because, you know, where I grew up, I grew up in a farming community. I had a, an orchard owner one time. There was an orchard down behind my house a little ways, and I was playing in there as a kid, and I got a little hungry, and there was a really big pear up at the top of the tree, and I decided I was going to eat that pear, so I was trying to get that pear down. About that time, the owner of the orchard came through there, and he explained to me on why that was not my pear, and it was his pear. But in Israel, the laws are a little bit different. If you look back to Deuteronomy chapter 23, it says, If you go into your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat your fill of grapes, as many as you wish, but you shall not put any in your bag. If you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. So part of Israel's, let's call it maybe their generosity, maybe part of their welfare plan, was that the owners of the field, if somebody's walking through their field, traveling along, they're allowed to eat as they go. They're not allowed to fill a bag and take it with them. They're not allowed to harvest part of their field, but they are allowed to eat their fill as they walk through there. So that's not the problem with the disciples. Well, here's the problem. The religious leaders, the Pharisees, had interpreted that as you pick the grain by your hand, you've been involved in reaping. Just as you would be out there working every day harvesting the field, you've entered into that process. You put it up on the threshing floor and you thresh it, which is a lot of times an animal dragging a cart over it, um, beating it, doing things to knock the grain loose from the chaff. They said by you putting your hands together with the grain between there and going like this, you're threshing. The last stage of their harvest was you take a winnowing fork and you throw all the stuff up in the air and it blows the chaff away and the heavier Grains fall to the ground, and so that's how you separate them, and then you have the grain. By doing this, you're reaping. By doing this, you're, you're um, what did I call it again? Threshing. Thank you. And then you just winnowed. And so you've just worked on the Sabbath day to get that one little handful of grain in your hand. How does it apply to us? Well, you know what? I've, I've known churches that um, will do this thing with different issues. I've known churches. I've been in a church before where 
Like, for example, the command in the scripture for women is that they dress modestly. But the church takes it farther and says, well, what does it mean to dress modestly? And they put out this whole definition of how a woman can, a woman can never be in pants. Well, another command of scripture is that a woman never dressed like a man and a man never dressed like a woman. It's talking about cross-dressing. At the time that it was written, they were all wearing robes. So you could argue there's obviously a man's robe and a woman's robe. There's a difference. But I've been in churches that there's no such thing as man's pants and women's pants. Man, pants are meant for men. Dresses were meant for women. But I've been in churches where they look at it as a woman as very ungodly if she ever wears a pair of pants. I even knew a pastor one time. He would not have done it by the time I talked to him. He had separated himself from some of that mindset. But he said, in our church, we used to have extra dresses hanging there. And when a visitor came, they were told, we have these dresses here that you can put on or you can come back when you're properly dressed for church. Wow. They just inflated that idea of, they just made their own understanding of what it means to be modest. I've seen churches do the same thing with music. If it has this kind of beat, it's wrong. If it has that kind of beat, it's wrong. If it makes you tap your foot before it makes your heart say amen, it's wrong. Where do you find all that in the Bible? I can understand somebody making that decision for themselves. If a woman says, you know what, I don't feel modest unless I have this kind of dress or that kind of clothing on or whatever, that's fine. You know what, you go with your conscience. But you know what, you have no right to judge or enforce that upon anybody else. If, if you say that this, this kind of music, and there's definitely black and white when it comes to music, that's an expression and it contains a message. But in a lot of places where there isn't a black and white message or there's not a real problem in the message, then you can set standards for yourself. Well, this song makes me feel this way or that song makes me feel that way. Fine, but that doesn't mean it makes anybody else feel that way. We need to be careful that we don't inflate the Bible to be bigger than it is or change God's laws to incorporate our personal applications of it to ourselves, to other people. The Bible is black and white in a lot of areas, but there's also some areas of gray that it acknowledges itself. And in those areas, we need to allow people freedom. What about in regards to the Sabbath? The Sabbath, we see, was first given to Israel. Exodus chapter 31, verse 16 says, Therefore the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. This is something special between the nation of Israel and God. You know, what is interesting is you look up into the New Testament, the church is never encouraged to follow the Sabbath. As you look at the Ten Commandments, which the Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments, it is the only of the Ten Commandments that is not a moral or a spiritual absolute. And it is also the only of the commandments that is not reiterated in the New Testament. Well, what about Sunday? Remember, Sabbath was Saturday. The Jewish people, the seventh day of the week, they'd rest just like God rested on the seventh. Now, is there a principle of rest that we were made to work six days and take one off? Yeah, I'm with you there. We do need to change pace. We do need to rest. We were made to fit that mold. But the Sabbath is not ours. We worship on Sunday because we don't call that the Sabbath. That's the Lord's Day. And we call it that because that's the day Jesus rose again from the dead to give us eternal life. What is the New Testament teaching on the Sabbath? Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. If we put that back up again, it says, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. See, the Sabbath was never given to us. It's meant to be perpetual for Israel, but not for the church. He says, don't let anyone, don't be judging one another on whether they keep the Sabbath or not. He says, some people are going to keep the Sabbath. That's fine. They're keeping it unto God. Some people are not going to keep the Sabbath. That's fine. They're not keeping it unto God. Romans chapter 14, verse 5 says, One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. And so this idea of a Sabbath is not... The Lord's Day is not a new Christian Sabbath. And you want to know why? This is very important. The reason why is because you know what is the Christian Sabbath? Christ is the Christian Sabbath. 
Christ is where we have rest. It talks about it in your bulletin. I left the verse there from last week, this week again, because last week Jesus said, Come unto me and I will give you rest. And the whole Bible traces that rest and says there remains a rest to be entered into. And what is the rest to be entered into? It's Christ. Just like in Colossians there, it says the Sabbath is a shadow, the substance is Christ. We enter into our rest not on Sunday. We enter into our rest when we realize that we can't achieve heaven by working to get there ourselves, and we rest from our labors, and we trust in Christ. He is our rest. We are resting in Him, not in a day. That day was just a picture of the rest that we have in Him. The Jewish people got so carried away with this law, their understanding of this law to their own detriment. When the time in between the Testaments, you know there's 400 years in between the finishing of the Old Testament and the start of the New Testament, there's an apocryphal book called the Maccabees written during that time and it traces the history of the Maccabees. It was a family in Israel, priests. And um, during the time of Judas Maccabees, in 1 Maccabees chapter 2, it describes an event. And in this event, they were being, uh, they were being attacked. And as they were being attacked, because it was Sabbath, they would not pick up arms and fight their enemies. And so they saw the battle coming. And you know what their response was? Is that history will record that these people have done us very wrong. And that day, a thousand men, women, and children were put to death without fighting back. When Roman uh, general Pompey attacked Jerusalem and took charge of Jerusalem, that he, on a Sabbath day, built a great mound outside the city from which he could bombard the city with ease. And he knew that because it was a Sabbath day, he could build that mound without any disruption from the Jews. And first century Jewish historian Josephus records it. And he said that the Jewish people could easily have kept Pompey from building that mound if they would have resisted him, if they would have went out and distracted him. But then he went on to say this, But though our law, obviously thinking had changed since the Maccabees, he said, though our law would allow us to fight if we're attacked on the Sabbath day, our law does not give us permission to meddle with the enemy while they do anything else. So they sat there in Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, allowing Pompey to build this great mound outside the city from which he could easily bombard the city. And the next day he took over the city because of their understanding of what God meant when he said don't work on the Sabbath day. They made it bigger than God ever intended it to be. They added so much more of their human tradition to it. And that's why Jesus would tell them, in vain do you worship me, because you've replaced the word of God with the commandments of men. Lastly, we see that not only did they ignore Christ, not only did they inflate the law, but they also diminished compassion. Now, as we look at the passage, Jesus points out uh, several things in, in correcting their understanding of the Sabbath. He points out the fact that when David and some of his men were running from Saul for their lives and they were hungry, they were starving, they stopped into the temple and they took some of the showbread that was only supposed to be eaten by the priests and they ate it. What he's pointing out is that God nowhere condemned David for that, even though he violated the law in doing it. Why? Well, because when it comes to somebody starving to death or eating the wrong bread, God was okay with them eating the wrong bread. God was compassionate with them. He also uses the example of the priests. He says, look at the priests. When you look at God's institution of the Sabbath, the priest has to violate every one of them because he has to work that day 
to provide the worship for Israel and to offer the sacrifices. In fact, the, the burnt offerings on the Sabbath were doubled. So the priest actually had to work twice as hard on the Sabbath as he did the rest of the weekdays. And so he's saying if, if the priest has to violate every Sabbath, but he's not guilty for it, then, then obviously God isn't that upset about these guys eating that handful of grain. And then lastly, he quotes a Bible verse for him. It's found in Hosea chapter 6 and verse 6. It says, I tell you something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. That's the, that's the part that's in Hosea. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Then you would not have condemned the guiltless. In other words, why was the, why was the Sabbath put here? It was put here as a a sign of the covenant, the special relationship between Israel and God. It was put here to give us a break also, to give us a rest. In fact, Jesus on another time would say, you know what, the, the man wasn't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. It was put there to give him a break, and it was put there as a picture of the covenant relationship between God and Israel, whereby God bestowed His mercy, His compassion on Israel. But you know what, the the... Pharisees had done over the years, the rabbis, they had added so many little tidbits of rules to this Sabbath that it wasn't a rest. I got a feeling people were glad when the Sabbath was over. Now I don't have to wonder if I broke it by throwing a ball across the yard. You know, now I don't have to keep track for six days. I don't have to keep track of all this stuff that I might accidentally do. Did I drag a chair too far across the floor when I went to sit down at the table? Jesus says, you guys are missing the point. The point is mercy. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Now, had God commanded sacrifice? Absolutely. Had He command the Sabbath? Absolutely. But the intent behind them was compassion. And that's exactly what these people were not offering. And we see that in the last part of the story here. The guys that are there with a withered hand comes into the synagogue. So he would be like coming in with us today, coming into church. That was the Jewish synagogue, kind of like a Sunday school. This guy comes in to go to synagogue, go to worship God, and the Pharisees see him and say, hey, here's another trap for Jesus. They didn't care about that guy. And so they asked Jesus, point him out to Jesus. Look at that guy. You going to heal that guy? Is it lawful for you to heal him on the Sabbath day? Well, that brings up another Sabbath regulation. You know what was lawful regarding that on the Sabbath? It was lawful to keep somebody alive, but not to heal them. So you had to try to find the fine line. I can help this person just enough to keep them breathing, but I can't actually fix them till tomorrow. Where's that line? I mean, in our day, they're still calling the medical field a practice, right? So where do you, how, how do you know where that line is? Where you've got to keep them teetering, kind of. That's ridiculous. Jesus points out the ridiculousness of it. He says, what would you do if it was your sheep? If it was your sheep, you'd help it, right? You can almost hear in his voice, what's the matter with you people? You'll help your sheep out of a ditch, but you can't heal this guy? That law was put into place to keep you from spending seven days a week working out in the field. It wasn't put into place to keep this guy on the edge of death for a day. Lack of compassion. And so what does Jesus do, opposition or not? He heals the guy. He exercises compassion.
So as we look at this, Christ was opposed. Same kind of political opposition we see in our world today. It was all directed at him. The Jewish people had in, had, had ignored Christ, the very purpose for which all the symbols of their religion stood for. The Jewish people had inflated their understanding of the law to where it was no longer uh, an avenue of mercy, but it was an, an opportunity to trip people up, an opportunity to burden people. And they had also diminished compassion. They were not concerned for their fellow man, which when you look back even at the heart of the Old Testament, what is the heart of the Old Testament? The greatest commandment is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and all your strength. The second one is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. 